And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on, and Ferrari is bidding to get Carlos Sainz's Australian Grand Prix penalty overturned and promises it's going to keep developing its existing concept, despite fears it has a lower performance ceiling than Red Bull. But what are the chances of it having success on either score, and what should we expect from the Scuderia for the rest of 2023? I'm Ed Shaw, and joining us to talk all things Ferrari are Scott Mitchell-Mound and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott... We've got to have part two of your travel maladies for the year. It's turning into quite an eventful season for you. We might have to have Scott Mitchell Mount Travel Sympathy Corner. <laughs> I definitely think I earned it this week. Um, yeah, no, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to bore people too much. But I had quite the odyssey getting back from Melbourne with a uh, a cancelled flight that then turned into a seventeen hour delay and then an overnight stay in in Doha because I missed my connection. Um, and I eventually got home 24 hours later than planned. So um, I I always say when I'm in Melbourne, oh, I just, I, I don't want to leave. I wish I could just stay a little bit longer. But I did, I definitely didn't mean it like that. I'm going to have to watch what I say in future. I enjoyed the bit where you sat on a plane for three hours, not getting anywhere, and then got off. That was my favourite bit. I was getting updates. Well, there, was a, there was definitely a point early in the journey where I accidentally made negative progress which was, um, that, that's not what you want when you're on the other side of the world and just wait looking at the kilometre clock of how far you need to go. And then, yeah, you go about 10 kilometres in the wrong direction because you have to get off the plane and go and find a hotel for the night. That, that's, that's, that's not fun. Always a setback. But hopefully for the next race, where's next? Baku, things will go sensibly. Baku to Miami for a quick back-to-back. What could possibly go wrong there? And Mark Hughes also joining us. You did stay in Australia for a few more days, so you're relatively fresh from the plane, although I'm not sure fresh is the right word. No, fresh, definitely not the right word. Um, But yeah, I I stayed about the same time as Scott, Um, but um, that was always my intention. I wasn't delayed, so... (laughs) <laughs> actually left about <laughs> you were there yeah, by exactly. choice <laughs> i stayed a few days extra and uh, got the plane i was supposed to get which took off as planned so yeah uh, I, I can't compete with that one scott yeah yeah it's good good job he went first <laughs> the good thing is you've both got an excuse for a certain level of delirium on this podcast so get your excuses in early but i think ferrari is a lively enough topic to keep everybody on their toes so scott should we start off with the right of review that Ferrari's seeking for Carlos Sainz? You heard from Fred Vasseur, the team principal, yesterday of that. That's for the five-second penalty in Australia that cost Sainz fourth place. What is their argument? Um, they're not saying much at the moment. The argument being that they it's with the FIA and they, and they don't want to comment while that process has only just been initiated. But the basic version, <laughs> I think, is... Well, you didn't penalise the others, so why are you penalising us? That that seems to be the extent of it at the moment. They're arguing that 
for example, the Alpine teammates colliding, um, that was dealt with with a hearing, a steward's hearing. Both drivers went in, both drivers had their say, and no action was taken. Um, then uh, Logan Sargent escaped even a formal investigation for completely spearing Nick DeVries into turn one. And this was all part of the same chaos of that final um, standing start after the red flag. Uh, and Ferrari's argument is effectively they're unhappy that they didn't get chance to make their case to the stewards when out Al- the Alpines did and the other one didn't even go to the stewards. I, I would hope if I'm speaking on behalf of those who will want the penalty reviewed, I would hope they have more to show to convince the stewards that it merits a review because they have to prove that they have new and uh, new element, new evidence that wasn't available at the time and it has to be relevant and blah, blah, blah. Um, just saying that signs didn't get to give his testimony is not new or relevant because that the stewards had the opportunity to grant that and, and, and didn't, they, they decided it wasn't going to be necessary. Um, plus they, the, the FIA always handles incidents with drivers that are retired from the race differently because there's nothing to be gained from giving Gasly or Ocon a penalty, an in-race penalty in that situation. It doesn't, they're both out of the race. It doesn't change it. That That's their rationale for it. Whereas Sainz was in the race. So a penalty was appropriate to punish him in the Grand Prix in which he committed the offence. So I don't really see much room for Ferrari to have any joy here. Yeah, certainly when it comes to that science evidence, that's not had any benefit before when people have tried to cite it because the stewards knew the science testimony would have been available had they wanted it. They could have deferred it. They didn't think it was necessary. So I guess the only possibility there is if they can say, well, actually, if you'd asked science, he would have said this. And there's some spectacular reason. I can't imagine what it could possibly be. But if there's some factor that was completely not obvious that means they can get away with it, maybe that would be new evidence. But I don't think that's very likely. Possible, but unlikely. Do we know if Karun Chandok's done any analysis of the incident? I think Karun did do some analysis of the uh, of the incident, but as we know, Karun Chandok is not admissible. The FIA has ruled that previously, of course. <laughs> that was when Ferrari did the it was the 2019 Canadian Grand Prix, wasn't it? When yeah, it was Vettel. Vettel's one. Yeah, his safe, unsafe rejoin, putting Hamilton against the wall, and they just threw the kitchen sink. They, I think they had something like seven counts, didn't they? Of reasons <laughs> and none of them why were it should new. be reviewed. <laughs> there was just this hilarious statement saying, "Well, that's not new evidence. That's not new evidence. This is a segment in a TV broadcast." What are you doing? <laughs> That's Karun Chandok. <laughs> I, 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 it sounds like I'm taking the mick out of Karun. Like in that situation, obviously, like he was so totally the innocent party. But it make it makes for an excellent joke every time. Not not just if Ferrari does a right to review. It's if 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 this process comes up at any point, he, it's either that or you make a joke about Alex Albon being deployed to rerun some lines. Mark, do you think there is? any chance of this being admissible and we should say there's two stages it has to be admitted before the review happens so would you agree that it's pretty difficult to see what Ferrari could produce to make it admissible unless there's something we couldn't possibly foresee at this stage yeah very slim uh, chances of this work and I would say significant and relevant new element is what it says in the in the relevant article of the the sporting code um and and saying you know that we that you treated us differently to other similar situations isn't new or, or relevant so uh yeah i think it's it's just it's one of the unintended consequences of trying to regulate to the nth degree you know because if you we talked about this before but if you you try to encapsulate every single possible situation in a written regulation. You always end up with situations which haven't been envisaged. So when they arise, you then write a regulation for that eventuality, which in itself then creates potential for yet more unintended consequences, which inevitably will be exposed one day by a different situation. And then you write a regulation for that, and it just goes on and on. Um, you, it's almost like um, you know, red flags uh, create red flags. It, 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 like <laughs> writing regulation creates um, the, the potential for more writing regulations. So um, yeah, very difficult. I, you know, in, in the in the case, the the only way they could have um, 
got around this was if they decided it wasn't worthy of a penalty. That's the only way out of it in, in hindsight. If they'd said, well, yeah, it was just a, a race incident. Because once the, the stewards have decided that uh, there was a penalty, they, the, that five-second penalty was the only one that they can hand out. They can't they don't have the facility within the regulations to say, well, it's not relevant in this case to give them five seconds, be appropriate to give them five seconds because it's going to be, the, the field's going to be all shunted up because they're all going to be behind a safety car. That that facility is not there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's either a five-second penalty or 10 seconds, whatever. So the, the the smallest penalty they could give them was five seconds. Once have decided that a penalty was merited and they decided that it was, in their estimation, that was a, a bad enough error of judgment that it needed a penalty, therefore that's what they had to do. So, uh, you know, it, once once you have so many little intricate writings and rewritings of regulations, you then you do tend to get yourself tied in knots um, by unforeseen circumstances, and this was a you know a prime example of that, really. Scott, if on the off chance this was admitted and there was a review, do you think? there's any chance of it being overturned? Do you think there's any real argument for it? You can say it's a harsh penalty. Obviously, I didn't like it, but it wasn't a completely mad penalty that was totally out of kilter with everything, was it? So, again, I guess it just comes down to what the evidence is. If there's some magic, amazing fact they can throw in and prove that that changes the whole perception of the incident. The only thing that makes me think it could have gone differently is if it had gone to a steward's hearing, Alonso had got in there and defended his mate. Because if, 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 let's say that this had gone to a steward's hearing after the Grand Prix, Alonso's had his result reinstated anyway. And, and I'm convinced that played at least a, a small part in Alonso being quite magnanimous about it afterwards and saying it was a harsh penalty and all of this. I, I suspect he wouldn't have been quite so forgiving if it was, one, someone who wasn't Carlos Sainz, and, and two, if Alonso had lost that result completely. But if he'd got into the steward's room, if they'd heard from both drivers, I can absolutely imagine... Alonso trying to talk them down and it's difficult to make to draw parallels because they are different scenarios but when you have two teammates that go into the stewards room like we saw with Ocon and Gasly there is a bit of a they're in the same team let them sort it out amongst themselves mentality they just kind of leave it leave leave it to them but the two drivers from Alpine claimed a a share of the responsibility and if he wanted to to help I guess Alonso could have done that had, had there been a, a stewards here, and I'm not saying that Alonso could have actually done any more in the reality of the circumstances to do anything, but if it got reopened and they wanted to hear from both drivers, maybe that's something that could influence it. Otherwise, I just don't see what could possibly result in a positive outcome here for Ferrari. They're not the same. His incident with, with Alonso was not the same as the other ones we saw. Now, I don't think it was correct that Sergeant got away completely with taking out Nick DeVries. That should have been a penalty. I think he should have a grid drop for, for the next race. I can just about understand why you rule that the Alpine one is a racing incident, but I'm convinced it was Gasly's mistake, If we rather than a portion blame. I think it's his error. But, but they're not the same. Just because they happened at the same chaotic restart doesn't mean that you can say, oh, well, these were handled differently. Why wasn't ours done like that? Because they're not the same incident. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'd be surprised if now Alonso was uh, was willing to offer too much support because it's in Aston Martin's interest for Ferrari not to have those points back as well at this stage. But yeah, I mean, that's all dependent on if the hearing was to happen again, which uh, I think is pretty unlikely, but I guess you never know. But just coming back to the whole concept of the right of review, Mark, it's obviously very, very rare that this was invoked or even attempted to invoke. You have to petition for the review so the two-stage process, but it seems to be happening increasingly often. Why do you think that is? I think it's just the scope to do so is greater because of the intric- you know, how, how intricate the regulations have, have become. Um, and so the, the, the more that you try to you know, fit a few square pegs and, and round holes, the, the, the more there is space around the edges to say, oh, well, hang on, hang on. And and you know the stakes are the stakes are big in terms of positions in constructors championships. Um, it could be the difference between the second and third in the world championship and or everything that goes with that. So, yeah, I think it's just that it's it's not um, it, it, teams aren't suddenly behaving any differently. They 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 they're just 
have a different sort of environment in which to operate. And some of that confusion as well with not just rules on book but off book. Obviously, we had the Aston Martin case in Saudi Arabia that actually Aston Martin managed to succeed in because they could prove some precedents, et cetera, and what had been spoken about before with Jacks and all that kind of thing. So I guess that is a good illustration of how the increased complexity creates more little holes to slip through. But I guess maybe there's an argument for slightly shifting the the right of review, which is an international sporting code thing, so it applies to all FI championships. I almost feel like they need something in there that if you submit a fairly frivolous review that's just rooted in your anger that you don't think you should have been penalised, do you just say if your petition is thrown out, you lose one point in the Constructors' Championship or something? Probably wouldn't cost you anything, but there's a chance it might cost you big time at the end of the year just to stop the more frivolous ones that are thrown in. And I think Canada 19 was a frivolous one because I think that was just we're really angry about this and we're just going to throw a load of things that we know aren't going to work to try and get the door open. We don't know that's what's going to happen this time with Ferrari until we see it, but it's possible they might not have a a decent argument for admissibility. Yeah, I I agree. I I think there needs to be something that makes the right review uh, an avenue that's gone down less. I think it's been uh, abused to a degree over the last few years. Um, Prior to the Ferrari case in 19... I mean, I don't. That might not have been the one that sort of opened Pandora's box. I, I can't think of one before then. Can you? In terms of them going through, there haven't been many. I remember. Uh, didn't Perez try one after Canada twenty fourteen? Mark, do you remember that one after he had the collision with Felipe Massa at the first corner in the Canadian Grand Prix? I think they tried to get a review, but that wasn't successful. That's yeah, that's I, that's one of those ones that's in my memory. I need to double check, but I think they tried unsuccessfully. Yeah, I think you might be right. It was in the late stages of the race, wasn't it, for second place? Yeah. So we're looking at maybe there was one in five or six years before the Ferrari thing, and since the Ferrari one in 19, there's been at least one a year, probably two or three a season. Well, it's proliferated, hasn't it? Alpine it's a joke. Did, Alpine did one at Austin last year. That was successful, didn't they? There was the... Was it Red Bull against Lewis Hamilton in Austria a few years ago when they found the 3D camera of Hamilton that showed he did pass a yellow flag in Q3 that they didn't have the footage for originally? So that was new new evidence. And um, there was so- obviously the Red Bull attempt when there was the Hamilton Verstappen crash at, at Silverstone as well. Oh, yeah. Which, the ha- one that led- which, which, again, that didn't have any decent basis because they were sending out Alex Albon to try and replicate lines. And it's just like, this is just made-up evidence. It doesn't mean anything. No, exactly. So... Like I said, as I was saying, it, it, it's a it's a joke just how much teams have gone down that route. It, it's that ex- existed on a not a not a gentleman's agreement or any kind of thing like that, but it was it was there in a worst case scenario. It was, it was an emergency measure. Now it just seems to be: do we have the time? Do we want to commit the time, money, and effort? To challenge in something we don't like that seems to be the threshold for it now it, it's dropped and I don't think that's right because I think we absolutely need to hold the FIA and the stewards to to a higher standard as, as possible and I think we've talked on this podcast before about the problem with the stewards ultimately being amateurs not in a competence sense but in the a sense of they are not prof- it's not like they're not like professional football referees you know, who are paid professional members of an organisation, you know, who train every day of the week for this or, or anything, but they're not. They're, they're, they're amateur by profession definition, effectively. Um, so so there needs to be something that holds them to, to that higher standard. The, but the problem is when you've got a system that uh, allows for this um, correction, effectively, of, of, of wrong penalties, that that's a good thing in principle, but clearly it leaves scope to be absolutely abused and I think they either need to row back on on it in by either imposing a limit so if you have it so that let's say the teams have two referrals a year they can they can apply for two right reviews a year if that's the case I don't think Ferrari are burning one now at, at, at race three for something like this I think they want to keep them in the pocket or as you say there needs to be a deterrent in that if you're unsuccessful it comes back at you like how um going to show a little bit of ignorance here but I'm just knowing this from the amount of time I've spent playing football manager if you appeal a red card or something like that if you've got like a one game ban that can go up to three game a three game ban if you appeal it and that appeal is rejected 
So it, it's stuff like that. Like you, I think you need something like this. Otherwise, you will just have a system that the creates a world in which the FIA drags out decisions longer and longer and longer, not because they're worried about doing the job better, but because they're making sure that that decision is completely covered from a legal perspective in case it goes to a right of review or to try and deter a right of review. And I don't think that's a, dis- a, a route we want to go down. Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly if you try and do it and it's not advancing to review stage, that's when you should be hit with something. And if it goes to a review, you can kind of say, well, you had a point, we discussed it, but actually it doesn't change anything. And I think you can kind of leave things as they are then. But yeah, just to stop these frivolous ones. And of course, what you mentioned there with making the penalty worse, of course, you think back to when appeals to to the FIA used to go wrong. For example, when Eddie Irvine got his ban in 1994, after causing the crash in the Brazilian Grand Prix that resulted in Jos Verstappen landing on Martin Rommel's head. He got a one-race ban. Jordan appealed against that, and he got up to a three-race ban on the basis of stop wasting our time. I I do think there has been a general loss in the way F1's been run post-Charlie Whiting in terms of just stopping the kind of more frivolous things and the just don't be stupid don't do that all this all that you know just trying to keep things a little bit more delicately dealt with so we'll look on with interest as to how this one's treated it may be as we say ferrari's got some good bit of evidence but i'll be surprised if they do and of course if they do we will be delving into it on the race website and on this podcast looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Mark, let's move on now to Ferrari's car. Carlos Sainz said in Australia the ceiling of the Ferrari concept in terms of performance potential was lower than that of the Red Bull. Fred Vasseur says Ferrari will continue on its current path. Does that surprise you at all? No, it doesn't really. Um, the, the concept clearly does have a lower ceiling than Red Bull's, and the Mercedes concept also has a lower ceiling. So, um, incidentally, indirectly connected to your question, I think that's part of the reason why the Aston Martin has had such a strong start of the season because two key competitors have found that they, uh, the concept that they were working on from last year uh, has really sort of had this ceiling that the, 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 the Red Bull concept hasn't. So I think the Aston Martin is sort of about where Red Bull had got to last year and the other two have, have, have just sort of stalled against their... The, the the way that the, the car works, it, it, they, they can't really develop it very much further. Um, so Vessel is saying, well, you can't really do anything other than allow the team to develop this concept as best they can in this season, um, while presumably working on a different concept for 24 because of the cost cap. Um, it's probably quite a close call because you 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 could. We we saw Aston Martin do something similar last year. They 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 pretty much did a B version of the car. It wasn't called that. That's what it was. We saw Williams do something similar, um, but it would be a, a flawed version of of a new concept because quite a, a few of the, the the hard points that you're stuck with will will inevitably make it compromised. So, in terms of this season's car, yeah, Fred's probably right. It's probably not worth doing. It's it's just going to put you higher towards the cost cap ceiling for probably a very marginal gain over just developing this one as far as you can while working on something else for the future. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it would require, I think, um, more major surgery um, that would take you over the cost cap to do it properly. Um, you know, and, and Frederick, he also talked about Red, Bull, Red Bull's breaching of the cost cap being part of their current advantage, but... I think that's deflection, to be honest. I can't really see that Red Bull going 400,000 over the cost cap in 21 is a major part of the huge advantage it currently has, and it is an enormous advantage. And it's a, that just doesn't tally in scale with um, how much they went over you know, for, in 21. I do think that's just a deflection from Freddie. Ultimately, the reason Red Bull's well ahead is not just because of the the general development work it's done, but because it's hit on the right concept, which brings us back to the starting point here in terms of the car concept, the way they've 
conceived it to work the underfloor aero the side pods the suspension the way the mechanical platform interacts with the aero so yeah that's not something that just turns up because of that whole situation but what did you make of fred's messaging scott obviously he's staying very positive it's fair to say he is um i think it's uh i think there's an effort going on there to present uh an image of unity at a time when there is a lot of um constant speculation about what state Ferrari is in post Mattia Bonotto and what divisions may or may not exist at the top, um, what the significance is of certain departures over the winter and at the start of the season and exactly how Fred's going to actually steady that ship. So I think his attitude is to be very, very positive about it, insist that the lines of communication are strong and clear, that the working relationships are good, that motivation is really high, morale's really high, and the car's good. The car's definitely good. It just they just need to put it all together. And I I can understand where that's coming from so early in the process. And you can definitely make a case that they haven't had the cleanest weekends for the first three rounds. I think their start to the season looks a lot worse than it is. I'm a little bit worried that there's a bit too much focus on putting out that positive message and that deflection that Mark talked about because there comes a point where it's not a far it's not very far away from just refusing to accept there are any major problems and obviously you can say publicly that you don't have major problems but privately behind the scenes actually be going out about addressing stuff but when we've sat here plenty of times over the last few years and discussed Ferrari's inability to hold its hands up and be accountable for weaknesses it it gives me a little bit of trepidation about where they are and and what they're going to do to actually try and fix things. And yeah, one of the points that Freddie keeps making is that it's it's qualifying pace is actually quite strong, um, and it's of those three teams, you know, which you you would say which which is the second fastest cars at the Ferrari, the Mercedes, or the Aston Martin in qualifying on 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 numbers, it's the Ferrari, and its average. Uh, deficit to the Red Bull poles um, in the three races so far is is quite small. It's only in the order of a couple of tenths, but that's to massively underscore the to underrate the actual Red Bull advantage in the races. The Red Bull advantage in the races is much bigger than it is in qualifying. So you're taking the worst possible scenario for the Red Bull and the best possible scenario for the Ferrari in just comparing the qualifying performances and saying that's the performance. It's not. That's that's disingenuous. And, and Freddie will know that. Freddie will fully understand that. It's not like we're, we're pointing out something very difficult to understand here. But it, it does it does flatter the picture making that claim. Yeah, so there's definitely, with that, there's there's three things I'd, I'd say. One, in support of what Mark said there, which is that the, that Red Bull is clearly geared towards Sundays. So, and, we, and whether that's the way the car looks after its tyres or whether that's, you know, saving a little bit on energy deployment, not going absolute great guns in qualifying, either on the engine modes or energy deployment so that they've got something better for them over the course of a full race. It could, whatever it is. So I'd be much more concerned if I was... Uh, I, I, or rather, I'd be a lot happier if I was four tenths off in qualifying, but a tenth or two off a lap in the race. I think I'd, t- I think I'd take it that way around, to be honest. Um, the second element is, what? why is that Ferrari capable of being good in qualifying? And I think the answer to that is that it has weaknesses that, in the first couple of races in particular, the suggestion is that they change this slightly to for Melbourne, is... They were either pursuing a setup or working with a setup that to get the absolute most out of the car and get its theoretical peak potential made it quite peaky and difficult to drive, um, which makes it, which means it sort of masked a little bit in qualifying when you're only having to do that over one lap where you've got the grip of the soft tyre. You've been able to, as Vasseur was talking about this, you know, you've got five runs on softs through the course of qualifying to nail that Q3 lap so you look a bit better but then obviously you fade in the race because that car isn't as usable. It's it's not as forgiving over a Grand Prix distance, over a, a, a full stint, and therefore you fall away. And the third factor is it got Charles Leclerc in the car, and that and that driver is going to flatter any m- 
any problems, limitations, misgivings that a car has, that car will look faster over qualifying than it will in, in, in a Grand Prix. We saw it in a much more extreme sense in 2020 and then I guess to a bit of a lesser extent in 21. But I wouldn't judge the quality of that Ferrari in qualifying at all by what Charles Leclerc can get out of it. So you can only judge them in the races and in the races, yeah, it's difficult to split them from Mercedes and Aston Martin, but they're not comprehensively second best over a race stint, are they? So I, I would be really wary of looking for silver linings at the moment based on exactly what it is Ferrari is saying. I, I think there's a lot of, again, sort of Mark hinted at it. Fred knows what he's saying, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. And Ultimately, with where the car is, even with the absolute maximum extracted from it, it's very unlikely they're going to be a threat to Red Bull for the championship this season. Because there's 20 races left, I won't say it's impossible, but it seems vanishingly unlikely to me. Mark, I guess the real question is next year, isn't it? Because that's the opportunity to switch the concept. Fred says that they haven't decided yet. They're going to weigh up whether they continue with this one or whether they do a whole new one. What do you think their mindset will be at Maranello right now? Because I imagine if they are going to shift, they've probably already got it pretty well in mind and are already working on uh, the concept they're going to change to. Yeah, I think the fact that Carlos Sainz says pretty openly that this concept has got a lower ceiling tells you that he knows where they're heading. So, uh, yeah, I would be very surprised if it wasn't a very Red Bull type of concept that appears for next year. Um, it, it's clearly the way to go. It, it's the convergence that we were always eventually going to see with a new set of regulations. Um, it, I think we were maybe a little bit thrown last year by how competitive they initially were with this concept. It was good straight out of the blocks, and it had a very powerful engine as well initially, which flattered it probably a little bit. So all those things, and yeah, plus what Scott said about having Charles Leclerc in the car to deliver that scorching one lap, all those things probably encouraged it to go this way with this year's car, but um, that was without knowing just what potential there was to progress from within Red Bull, and uh, there was clearly enormous potential. It was interesting, actually, the difference between Science's messaging and the sort of official Ferrari team messaging. So initially I thought to myself, oh, has Carlos said a bit more than he should have done? This was on the Thursday in Australia, and there's a story on our website if you go to the race.com. Not forgetting the hyphen, Ferrari's first hint, it too may need bigger F1 concept change. That was a story that uh, that I did from those guys. But then I was wondering whether they've kind of used the drivers to get that idea out there, and then Fred can keep putting out the positives. So it's not a full-on official official, but it means everyone knows there's a limit. What do you think, Scott? Do you think this is just science saying a little bit too much, or do you think it was slightly more calculated? Actually, yeah, chuck that out there, then the idea is floating around, and we can sort of talk things up the rest of the time just to say we'll try while we we tide things over until next year this (laughs) this is going to sound really unfair because i think the actual people that work on the ferrari comms team are really good and i think they're very competent and i think they'd be capable of coming up with something like this i just can't imagine that ferrari as an organization would be willing to let that happen I just think they don't. I, I can, I can just see that they want to control it, um, and obviously it's Fred's team. If he wanted to do that, he could definitely make it happen. Get the comms team to brief the drivers and say one of you needs to say this in that situation. I can absolutely imagine Carlos going, "Yep, yeah, I'm happy to do it." Um, but if you wanted to, if you wanted to do that and make that really effective, I, I think you'd have Leclerc saying it, and I think you'd have him saying it more in a like an FIA press conference, because I think Carlos was speaking to TV and then written media, wasn't he? It wasn't, it wasn't on in a press conference or anything like that. So I like the idea and I don't want to make it, I definitely don't want it to sound like I don't think the comms team's competent enough to pull it off. It just doesn't really feel like something that Ferrari would, would this this version of Ferrari w- would do. They, they just haven't really grasped how to use that comms team and the drivers as a weapon like that. So it just seems a little bit out of place. And if you were going to do it, I think you'd do it a bit more effectively than they did. Maybe now I'm actually talking myself into thinking that they did do it because they've 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 not done it properly, which is quite a Ferrari thing to do. Well, I guess if you if you apply Occam's razor to it, you'll just say, well, actually, the simplest explanation is science was told to downplay things for 
where they are at the moment but not be too negative and maybe he just went that step too far in terms of talking about the concept perhaps that was just a little gap in understanding that's probably the most straightforward reason it well could have carlos happened. is also very honest so yeah, i is, think yeah. if he if he has been told that they're going to go in a different direction and he hasn't been explicitly told we can't say that i can absolutely imagine him talking about that, especially because he's started the season a bit weaker than leclerc hasn't he so I guess it's to his benefit for people to know that there are changes to the car coming and this car's not good enough because that kind of, I, he's not the kind of person to look for excuses or claim them in public, but it gives him a little bit of a free pass, doesn't it, if the car has to be changed. Yeah, he's an intelligent guy, Carlos Sainz, as well, and he's also not afraid to let his message get out there if he's got the leeway to do it. He certainly will toe the party line, but if there's room to manoeuvre in the party line, I'm sure he's sharp enough to do it. But ultimately, I th- Ultimately, what he's saying is accurate. And what Vasseur's saying, I don't think anyone would suggest they'd not try to develop this car at all. They've got to keep doing some work with it. And as Mark explained earlier, there's big limitations on how much you can change. So carrying on this year with what they've got, making the best of it while working on a change for next year is probably the most logical approach and the most efficient approach for them to do. So it all kind of fits together on that score. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Another thing, Scott, that Fred talked about in his little media session was the DRS effect of the Red Bull. I think he called it that he called it the mega big effect. So mega big advantage. Mega big advantage. So we've been hearing a lot of talk about the DRS. We know that the Red Bull is extremely efficient in a straight line, DRS open and DRS closed. So what's Vaserbin saying about that situation? Yeah, you're right to um add that caveat that it isn't just when the DRS is activated. That that's kind of the simplified version, isn't it? Um so basically we know that one of the things for this year that Ferrari tried to do after last year was they w- wanted to make it uh, a development priority for the 23 car to make it faster on the straights. This was something that Red Bull had a clear advantage over Ferrari in last year. So I think the idea was um, make the car faster in a straight line, try not to lose as try, try to lose as little performance through the corner as possible. And there's an easy theoretically um, advantage to gain there. Um, so, that was in kind of in the context of of, of this. The, the Red Bull element has obviously been a big talking point. Fred did say it has a mega big effect and it's bigger than everybody else and they still need to understand how they're able to do this. But I wanted to know what that meant in the context of what Ferrari tried to improve this year because that has been achieved to a reasonable degree. Last year, the first three races, Ferrari was sort of like middle to low on speed trap figures um, but this year it had one of, I, th- I think it was even the fastest car on the straights in Bahrain. It was also more competitive in Saudi, but it dipped again in Melbourne. And I wondered if that was a, a setup thing after they had to try and redress that balance a, a little bit. Because the Red Bull is clearly quite a vexing competitor on this. Um, and it, Vasseur basically admitted that their step 
has limited the gains that Ferrari expected to make. I'll, I'll read out the quote. Um, I asked him if Ferrari expected to compensate the gap more effectively when Red Bull, it looks like, has moved the target. And Vasseur countered that the difference was probably bigger last year, but he admitted we were expecting to compensate a bit, bit more and they still have room for improvement. And we can talk a little bit about the, the speed trap deficit that still exists to Red Bull, but I'd be interested to know what either of you think. I would be quite concerned if I was Ferrari that you've compromised your cornering performance to chase this straight line speed and you still have quite a significant deficit, even if you have improved on last year. Leclerc did allude to that pre-season, didn't he? That they'd given away a little bit in the corners as part of this redressing of the balance. Yeah, I think um, like the overall performance equation, what you have to distinguish between is Ferrari making improvements indexed to its itself compared to when you hit the track of the new season and indexing your performance compared to a competitor who you've got no way of controlling or knowing what they've what they've done until you get out there. And um, I think this car has got better aero efficiency than last year's car. It probably has gained more lap time from its um, better straight line performance than it's lost through any slight loss of um, downforce in the corners. But Red Bull has made a huge gain, and um, the DRS gain is just symptomatic of that. It's all it all goes back to the same root cause of the aerodynamic excellence of the Red Bull, and it, you know the the way that they are running the car, the underfloor design that they've got, the suspension setup that facilitates that with the extreme anti dive and anti squat. That all allows you to run the car lower so the the underbody grip goes up exponentially so you've got a lot more underbody grip in the first place and so that when you stall the DRS and you then by using the aggressive beam when Gary Anderson's talked about this on 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 the site you're stalling a hell of a lot more downforce because you're creating a lot more downforce so of course your straight line speed goes up a lot more than other cars when you use the DRS. It's not that you've got some trick DRS, it's just part of the aerodynamic excellence of the car. And that's something that Ferrari have been blindsided by as they were just developing their own car. And that's, you know, that when when they both Mercedes and Ferrari presented these cars that were just tweaks basically of last year's, that was always the danger. That was the danger of well, okay, if you've, you've tweaked something that last year wasn't really good enough will that tweak be enough to make it good enough and that always depended on how much progress Red Bull had made and it turned out Red Bull had made an enormous amount of progress so there's um some numbers that I've got because I, I looked into this these Fred comments about the the speed the top speed deficits to, to to Red Bull and the improvement on on last year and it's it's useful because you can see that Vasseur's claim on a basic level is is correct. If you look at Bahrain, for example, they went from a 6.6 kilometers an hour speed trap deficit last year to actually a minor advantage over Red Bull this year. It was back to being slower than Red Bull in the other two races, Saudi and Australia, but there were year-on-year gains relative to, to Red Bull. Um, they gained basically three, three kilometers an hour uh, in terms of the speed trap deficit um, at, at both tracks but but those numbers all those numbers do is just reflect how much closer Ferrari got and the one thing to keep in mind is that the deficit was so big last year that even with those year-on-year improvements relative to Red Bull there's still quite a big disadvantage for Ferrari excluding Bahrain there was still five kilometers an hour down in Saudi Arabia and four kilometers an hour down in in Australia and I just think that must be a bit disappointing for a team that was rebalancing that that performance profile. And it's not going to help suggestions that Ferrari got the shift in priorities wrong if it has indeed made the car a bit trickier to drive while having that deficit on the straights. And that can all be summed up in Vasseur, even in, even in his optimistic take about that relative game, gain, it, he, st- he had an obvious but which was we still have to improve. That they, they, they tried to make this step. They have made a step, but Red Bull have moved, moved the goalposts. And now I think Ferrari is scratching their heads trying to work out what to do next. Well, there's a quote from Carlos Sainz in that same interview where he talked about the concept stuff, where he said, 
we're a bit puzzled because last year we thought we'd nailed it. So that pretty much sums it up. But I think it all comes back to the same thing. You've got the Red Bull concept is not just the things we can see. It's not just the stuff hidden in the underfloor, but it's also the understanding that goes into that. And the efficiency is part of that. The way you can stall things at high speed to try and give yourself uh, a slightly more slippery car in the straights. This is all stuff Adrian Newey's really, really good at. And people have speculated there might be something trick going on or well, there might be something trick and clever, but it's certainly not some magical illegal system. There's absolutely nothing to suggest that. All this is, is Red Bull just being the best team with the best grasp on how to make all of these things work together and the best decisions made in how you balance up all of those different contributing factors to the performance, which is always what Adrian newey has been extremely good at. And it's down to Ferrari and Mercedes and, to a lesser extent, the other teams who've got other limitations to, to close the gap on that. Should we finish off, Mark, with just a quick look at the two drivers? What do you make of the relative performance of Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz this year? You could probably argue there's reasons for both to be disappointed to a certain extent. Yeah, it hasn't been great. Um, I'd say that, they, but they're not in a great situation, are they? It, it, Carlos has struggled to get a good feel for the car, just as he did at the beginning of the two previous seasons, compared to, to Leclerc, whose whose natural talent just seems to allow him to be more instantly adaptable. Carlos can adapt, and he does get there eventually, but Leclerc just seems to barely even notice a change in traits of the car, and it was just instantly on any car you give him. Um, but Leclerc's not performed at his best either and he will he certainly won't be looking back on his australia weekend with much satisfaction but it's all all these things are, are, are on aren't in isolation drive driver performances can't be seen in isolation um they, they they're all circumstantial now amplified by car performance and car traits and what the deficit is and how hard you're having to push to try and overcome that deficit and how that dovetails with how you want to drive it and you know you're not comparing like with like comparing drivers to different teams and you know there were team operating errors as well of course you know the, the with the, the the indecision about how to treat the the, the preparation laps of flat out and then they got in each other's way and then they didn't you know, understand what the other was trying to do, and all they, these are all things that play into the overall, you know, the, the the result. Which I'm, you know, you know, more than well aware of when you when you do your um your, your driver ratings and and, and get attacked for for your conclusions. But um, yeah, I, I would say that they haven't. There's probably a lot that they're dissatisfied with on their own personal performance because that's how they're, they're made up they're competitive athletes and uh, yeah if they're not if they're not where they want to be they'll be looking to themselves as well as to to everything else but uh yeah i don't think you can get like a very clear reading after three races of, of, of where two drivers are at in a car which is not quite performing right in a team that's, that's made a few operating errors i thought the turn three thing with Leclerc in australia seemed to me to be a little bit like the 2020 maybe 21 Leclerc Scott when he was particularly 2020 when it was felt that he just needed to really go for it because the car wasn't great I don't think it was an idiotic piece of driving or whatever but it was just I always talk about the percentage this the percentages that you're playing in car positioning and it was just one of those things where he put himself in a awkward position to try and make gains he could have backed out of it and accepted he may have made losses through doing that but he sort of hung in there and ended up in the gravel it had that little bit of a feel of I need to take a few risks here I think it was just I think it was more of a misjudgment I think um I kind of believe him when he says that he wasn't trying to overtake anyone and he kind of found himself in that position by by accident I I which might be a bit difficult to believe because of driver of Leclerc's quality and he's normally so incisive and sharp. Um, but when when you look at how that run of cars arrived at that corner and, and where Leclerc was aiming to put his car and the fact that he ended up looking so careless in how he basically just ran his wheel into, into strolls... Um, he does have the air of someone who was just caught out by the situation he found himself in. Now, may, maybe there was an element of frustration because he'd qualified out of position and, and was frustrated with himself after qualifying and he wanted to make amends really quickly. Um, I, I can believe that definitely played a part in it and maybe that meant he wasn't quite as switched on as he needed to be as early as he needed to be into that cornering phase. And then I think it happened quite quickly. 
he found himself where he found himself. And at that point, he's basically in the lap of the gods, whether he gets hit or not. But Stroll can't do any more. He can't disappear. So it was just a just a blunder and just not Leclerc's finest moment. We did see it a couple of times every now and again in 20 and then to a lesser extent in, in 21, but mainly 2020. So you're right in that sense that there were maybe the hallmarks of that frustration coming through. Yeah, I don't think it was a terrible error. And I see how he got into the situation. Ultimately, you can, you can see how that plays out. And he was unfortunate there was Alonso there on the kind of inside of Stroll as well and Stroll sort of attacking. So there was a fair bit of bad luck. And in isolation, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. But I think as Mark alluded to, that's the kind of thing sometimes that happens when you're in a slightly more complicated area, slightly more congested. It's often easier when you're at the front to to manage things nicely and always make those good decisions as indeed Verstappen ended up being actually slightly conservative in turn three with Hamilton although he did complain over the radio he later sort of rolled back a bit on that but because he knew he had the pace it didn't really matter did it he thought do you know what if I'm not ahead of this Mercedes here I'll pass him after a few laps anyway whereas I imagine Leclerc thought if I'm behind Aston Martins now I'm probably going to be behind them at the end of the afternoon so that these things all factor into it and I think the main thing for me is it's just a shame that we don't see a title-threatening Ferrari. And again, Mark, we're probably going to be denied the chance to see how Leclerc could do in a real season-long title fight and how Sainz could maybe figure into that. It's going to be probably next year at the earliest we get to see how these things play out. Yeah, that always seems to be next year with Ferrari, doesn't it? Next year and next year, and it's a little bit... It's a shame because you know they, they've, they've shown they're very creative technically. They're uh, very good force. It's just uh, decisions which have happened above them. I think is is going to ultimately always limit their potential unless um, there's there's some recognition of what the real problem is. Yeah, and ultimately the big question will be. If it's not next year, then what does that mean for Leclerc, whose contract, of course, is out at the end of 2024? That's probably a topic for another day, but hopefully we've given you a good feel for where Ferrari's at. So thanks very much, Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell-Mound, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads to read there on F1 and various other big stories in the world of motorsport. Have a listen to our other podcasts, including our MotoGP podcast, Bring Back V10s, our IndyCar pod, and also take a look at our YouTube channel, Well, there's a big gap in the season, but we're going to keep on going, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.